Hey, thanks for listening to Your Money, Your Wealth. For a free gift from Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and hit the special offer button to download our key financial data guide for 2018. This handy guide contains useful information about taxes, retirement account contributions, Social Security, Medicare, can't miss deadlines, and more to help you organize, plan, and save in 2018. Download your free thanks for listening gift. Click on special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. I discovered personal finance blogs online and I started following those folks and I found my financial life really improving. And then eventually I said, I've consumed enough, you know, consumer to creator. I need to kind of share my ideas with the world too and and maybe use this as a tool for myself to become accountable. So I started a blog in 2007 and uh, called it PT Money. We paid off all of our debts other than our mortgage and we had really aggressively saved for both our emergency fund and for our retirement. The rest is history. I've been blogging full-time since that point. That's Philip Taylor, a.k.a. PT of PTMoney.com. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, PT shares the method he used to reach financial independence, transitioning from certified public accountant to a financial media mogul in just a few short years. Plus, five ways to turn retirement savings into income, how a big lottery win might affect your Social Security benefits, and if you dollar cost average into Bitcoin to buy winter parkas, how is that actually taxed? To examine this ridiculous question, here are Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. You know, there's Bitcoin, Alan. Yeah, a a lot of people have Bitcoin now, and they're wondering how it's taxed. Right, and I think there's a ton of confusion on how Bitcoin is actually taxed. A a, a ton of confusion, uh, and and I guess the answer is it depends. But in general, Joe, Bitcoin is taxed just like stocks are. So in other words, if you buy Bitcoin for $1,000 and you sell it for $2,000 and you've held it for at least a year, then it's long-term capital gain. So in other words, then you've sold it, you got $2,000, you invested $1,000, you have a $1,000 gain, so you pay capital gains on $1,000. If it's short-term, then you know if, if I did the same thing, but I bought it three months ago and sold it, now it's short-term capital gain, which is taxed at ordinary income rates, which obviously are the higher rates. And I think that's, that's pretty easy to understand. But wh- here's where it gets tricky, Joe, is <laughs> when you have Bitcoin and you use Bitcoin to buy goods and services, right. every single time you use Bitcoins, it's a taxable transaction. So in other words, I $1,000 I bought in Bitcoins, it's now worth $2,000, and lo and behold, I found a really cool jacket that I wanted to get, parka, for winter, right? Because it's so cold in San Diego, right? And uh, so the, and the, and the retailer- So that's why you got Bitcoin, just to load up so you can buy parkas. Retailer accepts, <laughs> that's the only one I could find, a parka salesman. So that they, but they accept Bitcoins. So I, I, I say, all right, here's $500 worth of Bitcoins. Cool. It's a nice parka. Really nice. It's it's, got, it's just tricked out. It's got zippers and latches, and I can carry stuff on it. <laughs> anyway, um, so when I did that, I created a taxable transaction, and I think you can sort of see where this is going, right? So if my if my Bitcoin went up, basically doubled. Okay, if I if, if so I, that five hundred dollar park it didn't cost you five hundred dollars. That's right. It cost I, you five hundred dollars plus the taxes on the gain yeah. of that. And, and it depends on if it's short term or long term. It's going to be ordinary income that, on that gain to buy the parka, right. or it's going to be capital gains. So that so the gain on that parka, by the way, would be two hundred fifty dollars. So I got to show that as a capital gain transaction on my tax return. And like you, you just said, if if I if I've held the Bitcoin for at least a year. 
then it's long term. If it's if I haven't, it's short term. If I'm adding and subtracting from Bitcoin all the time, that's where it gets really confusing. So the blockchain is tracking all that. Supposedly, <laughs> <laughs> right now there's there's no reporting to the IRS, uh, but that doesn't mean that you should ignore it because the IRS actually does have have task forces that are trying to figure all this out. Uh, but a lot of people then they say, okay, I want to do it right. What do I do? Well, you uh, you use form eighty nine forty nine, which is the uh, it's kind of the detail page for the capital gain schedule D. So that's where it goes, and it either goes in the short term or the long term. And when you use those forms, you have three different choices to make. Uh, one is that the IRS knows about this, that that what you sold it for and what you paid for it. Well, that's not going to apply. The other box is the IRS knows what you sold it for, but they don't know what you paid for it, and that doesn't apply. The third one is IRS doesn't know anything about this, and that's the one you check. It goes on 8949, whether it's short-term or long-term, depends on how long you've held it, and then that will go forward to your Schedule D, and you'll pay capital gains tax on that. Yeah, well, I don't know. Good luck with that, I suppose. uh, If you're using it to, to buy goods and services, that's you're going to have a complicated tax return. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you. Yeah. So yeah. the parka you bought, you got to pay tax on it, then you got to pay ten grand to get your t- your tax return done. That's Exactly. Right? And then I had to pay sales tax on the parka because <laughs> it was in California. And then I then I had to get some more Bitcoin. Then I had some more gain. Right, right, right. And then they... Um, but that, it, it, it works in reverse, too. Um, you could... Harvest losses. You could, you could, you could, you could harvest losses. Now you couldn't buy the Bitcoin back for thirty days, right? You could buy another currency, digital currency, I suppose, if you wanted to. How about if I'm dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, now, <laughs> then well, I'm using Bitcoin to purchase goods and services, yeah. and then I took it at a loss. So do I? I have to stop buying Bitcoin. <laughs> because I have it's a thirty day wash rule. That's an excellent question. You know what I mean? And these things haven't been figured out, yet. right? Yeah. Because hey, I'm I'm putting in you know, every you know you put out of your paycheck, right? You know, yeah, I want to buy five hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin monthly, right? Right. <laughs> so so you've got you, yeah. I I I suspect that's what's going to happen. I think ultimately, Joe, it's going to be there's going to be some kind of tracking system. It's going to have to be average cost. It's going to get too confusing otherwise. Okay, Big Al, but what about those of us who are still confused about Bitcoin and blockchain in general, let alone the taxation of cryptocurrencies? If you fall into that category, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, hit that search at the top of the page, and type in Bitcoin. You can revisit Joe and Big Al's interview with Amanda B. Johnson, a cryptocurrency expert who laid it all out in very simple terms. If you don't have time to listen, you can just scan the transcript right there in the show notes. There's also a Crypto for Beginners Q&A and a video about whether or not Bitcoin is real money. Check it out at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. It's uh, that time of the show where we bring in someone that's a lot smarter than us, more talented, um, and has a lot more experience. So we have Philip Taylor. I'm really excited to have PT on from PT Money. He's done so much for the podcast community, and it's our real big treat to have him on. PT, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. This is an honor. Hey, well, I would like... um, to talk a little bit about your background, uh, you're a CPA um, by training, and then you decided to not do taxes anymore and um, get into be a media mogul. So <laughs> walk me through your career path here. Sure. Yeah. I uh, went to school to be an accountant, just like my father. My dad's a CPA, uh, but my mom was a, a, a teacher and a, a writer. 
Uh, little did I know I would, I would bring that talent into my life at some point. Um, but I went through the traditional path, accounting school, wanted to follow my dad's footsteps, get a CPA. I thought that was a safe track, a safe plan for me. Uh, did some public accounting and did some corporate accounting as well. So I did some taxes, auditing, and found myself an internal audit. It's been about 10 years doing that. Um, was semi-satisfied with that work. Uh, certainly enjoyed the lifestyle it afforded me. Uh, but one thing I noticed along the way was that my knowledge of taxes and auditing and uh, corporate finance wasn't necessarily propelling my personal finances. And I really needed to kind of take it upon myself to discover how to, how to improve those things. So I found myself a little bit in debt, um, had, you know, problem really saving money and accumulating money for emergencies or for those, those big, you know, like a house down payment, things like that. Um, so I was like, man, why am I still struggling with this? I'm supposed to be the guy that's got it figured out. And, um, I started doing some research. I discovered Dave Ramsey, of course, a lot of people credit him with kind of helping them figure things out. And then I discovered personal finance blogs online. So there were these people online sharing their story of uh, how they were getting out of debt or how they were improving their financial life. And I was really attracted to these real people sharing these real, these real stories, albeit sometimes anonymously so they could get away with kind of sharing the details. But, uh, you know, that was, that was very attractive to me. And I, and I, t- and I started following those folks and I found my, my financial life really improving. And then eventually I, I said, I've consumed enough, you know, consumer to creator. Right. And I need to, I need to kind of share my ideas with the world too. And, and maybe use this as a, as a tool for myself to become accountable. So I started a blog in 2007, just as kind of a, a hobby on the side while I was doing my corporate gig and uh, called it PT money and just started talking about money from my perspective. I think my my first article was was comparing um, watching a UFC fight, you know, the Ultimate Fighter Championship fights every, every other Saturday or so. I compared going to Hooters to watch it <laughs> or go, or staying at home and watching it on pay-per-view. And so that's kind of how where my mind was, how geeky I was about money at the time. Like, am I going to save money by going to Hooters or, or watching at home uh, and maybe inviting a friend over? So um, that, that kind of kicked it off for me, and I, I shared more on the blog through the years, but... Uh, it's been a real, real life changer, you know, to, to have discovered that medium blogging and, and, and then podcasting eventually and, uh, and just to kind of be in this little budding industry. So what were some of the lessons, I guess, in, in the beginning that you learned is that, all right, you're a CPA, you're a real smart guy, you know, mm-hmm. you, you were in corporate finance CPA for 10 years. So w- when it comes to financial acumen, you were probably ahead of most, uh, mm-hmm. but you were still struggling. Right. It's like, hey, you know what? How, how do I continue to accumulate? So you start reading blogs. What, what, what was the turning point? So it was like, OK, now I'm having a little bit of fun with this. But what was the turning point for you to say, you know what? Th- these are some lessons that I learned to, to really change my financial yeah. life. Yeah, the turning point was actually seeing what other people who were having success were actually doing, right? Oftentimes, money is is still a taboo, and you guys are talking about it on your show, but it's not often talked about amongst family members or friends and the real details, right? Um, and so I still had debt in my life, and I was struggling with living beyond my means a little bit. Even though my income was going up, I was still, you know, had had some car payments, had some student loan debt that was sticking around, and I just felt like I was... I was living sort of on the edge with my finances and I was not progressing at a rate that I saw these other folks who were sharing their details online were progressing. So in a way it was like throwing down the gauntlet on me. Like this is what they're doing to move forward. 
why can't I, I can be, they're just like a regular Joe, just like me. I could put myself in that same situation and move toward financial independence a lot faster. And so getting really hyper aggressive about getting debt out of my life and, and getting out of the idea of borrowing from the future to pay for today's expenses, whatever it is. Um, and, and getting, getting the debt out of my life and moving forward to a place where, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have to finance everything in my life. And, and then also that I was being aggressive with my savings. So, you know, we're taught sort of five, 10% was sort of like the high watermark oftentimes for, for folks, what the industry kind of preaches. And these folks were, were really aggressive or uh, really radical with their messages of 20, 30, 40, 50%, you know, savings rates so that you could move toward financial independence much faster. And that hit me at a time where I was in the corporate world and somewhat enjoying my work, but really just kind of searching for that next thing and, and realizing that I was kind of stuck in my cubicle in a way and uh, wanted more freedom in my life or more, more independence. Um, and so I saw finances as a way to kind of escape sort of the path that I had created for myself um, through, you know, college and career and then this debt, you know, and so uh, those were those were kind of the, the key moments and, and searching for that freedom um, and wanting to kind of become an independent person was was probably the, the most the biggest catalyst for me. You know, it's funny. It's well, what I think the really good blogs out there um, can really help motivate an individual in, in such a different way than a, a financial advisor could, right? So if you've ever listened to our show, and I hope you never do because it's really boring and it's awful, uh, but oh, right, we talk about <laughs> Roth IRAs, who can contribute, what's the tax code, blah, 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 right? So we, we, we give a lot of facts. And then so some people really enjoy that. All right, well, here, I really didn't know that I could do a Roth IRA conversion, for instance, okay? Or, you know, what is tax loss harvesting and any other example that I can throw out there. So you listen to that tidbit, and then sometimes people will take that information and try to build an overall financial plan. And at the end of the day, it kind of looks like Frankenstein, right? It's, mm. They're doing things that they probably shouldn't do. But at the end of the day, I think what people are lacking is the motivation to continue to save and probably to pay down debt and, and really have a true vision of what their financial life should be. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of individuals that come into the office, after they give us all their information, a lot of questions they'll say, well, what do you think? You know, comparatively to someone else, are we in good shape, bad shape? Because I think in the back of the mind, everyone wants to know they're going to be okay. But if I read these blogs and I can compare in, in my living room or my bedroom or wherever I'm, I'm reading these, it's like, man, this person's saving 40% of their income. They have a million dollars saved and they're 30 years old, right? right? Or whatever. And then it's like, then that can help potentially motivate someone a little bit more. And it sounds like that happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. I started, you know, they say you're the, the uh, equivalent of the people you surround yourself with. Right. And so I really started surrounding myself mentally with these online characters who were a lot farther ahead of me. And I didn't buck against that. I saw myself moving toward that. So I, I wanted to aspire to those, to what those folks had put out there for me. And so that was kind of part of it, you know. We've certainly surrounded ourselves with quite a collection of characters here on Your Money, Your Wealth. We've talked to folks who have reached financial independence through rental real estate, through blogging, starting side hustles, even some pretty creative gigs like flipping VW camper vans and cat sitting. Listen to these inspiring stories or read the transcripts at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Subscribe to the podcast, get our podcast newsletter, and take advantage of a huge learning center full of personal finance articles, white papers, webinars, and hundreds of video clips 
and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. It's all at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. So then you started blogging a little bit. And then when did you make the switch? You're like, all right, well, here, I'm going to be a professional or get paid to blog. And, and I mean, that's a leap of faith from someone that's, well, I, I don't blame you because I got buddies that are in corporate audit. And I mean, they're either alcoholics or they're almost on the side of suicide. <laughs> right? that, I mean, that 10 years, man, that's, you need a trophy. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty it hard was a grind. It was, yeah, it was a grind at times. Uh, I, uh, you know, when I started doing it, I started just on the nights and weekends, you know, and I became really obsessed about the topic of personal finance and just sharing sort of my little ideas and tips and tricks for others. And then once you get into the community and the process of creating, just sort of creates this habit of, of repetition and you just sort of get into the groove and you start getting feedback from listeners, readers, followers. Hey, this is helping or hey, what about this idea? And you just sort of get into the groove, you know, as you, as you do with your show, I'm sure. And so... Somewhere along the way, I turned on ads on my site, right? So I think it was about uh, eight months into my journey. I turned ads on, and then uh, a couple months later, I got a check in the mail. And I was like, cool, this is like Google sending me $100, you know, for doing this website. And I discovered, you know, I could actually turn this into something that would create a side hustle for me. And so that's that was my initial goal was just, hey, maybe it would be cool if one day this paid my mortgage, Right. And so I started to pay attention to what other bloggers were doing out there to monetize their sites. Uh, eventually found myself uh, at a point to where I'd replaced about, you know, a, th- a third to a half of my corporate salary. Wow. And during that, those three years as well, from 20, 2007 to 2010, we paid off all of our debts other than our mortgage. And we had really aggressively saved for both our emergency fund and for our retirement. Um, and so I was by no, by no means financially independent at that point. I think I was around 30, um, 31, 32, but I decided that, um, I had enough on ramp. And so it was 2010. I was faced with a, another big trip, uh, through my corporate gig and it was going to be over my daughter's first birthday. And my wife said, Hey, you know, if you want to, if you want to go out and do your own business thing right now with the blog, this would be a good time to do it so you can stay home for the birthday. <laughs> so I was like, yes, like that's my excuse. You know, I was a little nervous about making the leap. Obviously uh, health insurance at the time wasn't figured out. And so it was, it was a concern for me, but, um, we did it, you know, and we had enough on ramp and I'm a CPA. And so I always kind of felt like I could fall back on that at, at a minimum if I needed to. But uh, the rest is history. I've been blogging full time since that point and then started the conference a year later because I needed another side hustle. Right, right. So (laughs) now you're transitioning a little bit. Is that all right? Well, before it was just personal finance and then you were blogging to help other individuals, um, you know, find financial freedom. Um, But then you you started a a movement, if you will, um, in the podcasting world, um, especially in regards to personal finance. So you started uh, FinCon. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so as part of my journey of, of making the blog successful, it really relied on me talking to the other creators around me. And they gave me so many ideas. Hey, you need to be writing on this kind of stuff or make the post look like this or you work with this advertiser. And so through those conversations, that discussion on a daily, weekly basis, my efforts just got so much better. And so I was like, I got to meet more of these people. I've got to like be face to face. These are my new friends, my new colleagues. Like, we need to get together for a meetup, you know? Uh, so we started meeting up around the country at different places, other conferences. And then ultimately one day I just said, it's time, you know, we need to have our own event. You know, there needs to be a personal finance blogger conference, you know, and it's very limited in scope initially the idea. So I just invited, you know, 10 or 15 of my blogging friends 
thinking maybe, you know, 50, 100 ultimately would show up. Ended up having 250 people across all the mediums. So we had podcasters there, traditional radio there, uh, people doing video, bloggers, um, traditional other, you know, traditional journalist outlets, things like that. It was really just a kind of a celebration of sort of online digital personal finance information. So we quickly changed it to FinCon. Um, and then, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing from an event perspective necessarily. I, I didn't have that background. So I enlisted a friend from college who had a little bit of skills in that area. And she and I built out the conference and uh, been running it ever since. Who were some of your early influencers? So, you know, that first group of, of you know, great podcasters or, or financial bloggers, um, you know, who are the, some of those individuals? Yeah. So J.D. Roth from Get Rich Slowly comes to mind. He was probably one of the biggest, most successful early financial bloggers out there. Um, and he was our opening keynote at the event. I think it was fitting that people kind of, kind of considered him the grandfather of the of the industry. And so to have him there was was great. Um, uh, Paula Pant was there who has a fantastic podcast called afford anything. Uh, she does a great show. Who else was there? The podcast answer man, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft was there, even though he's not specific personal finance, I wanted to rely on someone who was really into the podcast world who could come and teach us and help us. He was there. And then of course, Pat Flynn, who's big at smart passive income in your town of San Diego, uh, does a really good job. He keynoted for us that year. And then, uh, Ramit Seti, from I Will Teach You To Be Rich was there as well. So we had a rock star lineup. It was really cool that these folks supported the event, came out, and uh, really came together as a community. And I, I think that speaks to the topic we talk about. Like, we're the ones, we're the weird people online talking about money, right? And having this conversation. And so when we get together, it creates this real bond and collaborative spirit to where, you know, we kind of all see ourselves fighting a bigger battle of financial illiteracy and the world's money problems. And so it's more easy for us to, you know, not, not be competitive with each other, but just kind of work hand in hand on things. Where do you think someone could go that's listening to this that wants to get more information um, on personal finance? It's probably new to maybe blogging or bloggers or um, other financial podcasts. What, what's a good resource where, where someone can go to, to get more information on personal finance? And then I'll flip the question um, where now you're, you're starting a, another podcast really to help podcasters, I think, um, in, in, in get a little bit better uh, on the media side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly Rockstar Finance is a is sort of a aggregator of a lot of the best personal finance blogs, podcasts, books, and shows out there. If you're into YouTube and you want, want to follow someone on YouTube, uh, we have a listing over at FinCon. If you just search for personal finance YouTubers, you'll find that list. Um, and so those are some good places to start. Of course, my site, you know, uh, I've got a, I've got actually a map of all the, uh, personal finance bloggers, um, on my show, on my, uh, blog. And so you can kind of see where across the country, different perspectives and different sites. Uh, we also have a list of some of the top podcasts out there on the show. And then of course you mentioned, you know, the money and media podcast that we do for leading up to the event. And so on a weekly basis, we reach into this archive of, of speakers and folks who contribute to our event at FinCon and interview them on specific subjects, whether it be podcasting, uh, blogging or vlogging and really deep dive with them about how they're kind of creating their craft. And, uh, oftentimes folks turn to that, turn to that show to, to get their podcast going or, or kind of get going with this craft. We're talking to Philip Taylor, AKA PT from PT money. Hey, I know you're a busy guy. I really appreciate you. The time, uh, that you spent with me. Uh, any parting final words of wisdom for our listeners? 
<laughs> pay yourself first. Do it automatically if you can. And uh, once you get tired of consuming, start creating. There you go. There's PT, folks. Hey, have you noticed many of the folks who share their paths to financial independence on Your Money, Your Wealth tell us about researching, learning, reading, and understanding the road ahead of them before and during their journey. Whether your goal is financial independence or a secure retirement, having a strategy to make your money last is key. Southern California, learn financial strategies for turbulent times at our free monthly lunch and learn events in San Diego, or sign up for our retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles. Visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to reserve your spot at one of our live events. Get the tools and confidence you need to make your money last. Sign up in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, five ways to turn retirement savings into income. So... This is for folks that have saved and they've got money in their IRA, maybe money in their Roth IRA, maybe money in their non, non-retirement accounts, non-qual accounts. And it's like, all right, now what? How do we, how do we, how do we go about coming up with an income distribution plan, right? Because a lot, in a lot of cases, think about a generation or two ago, Joe, it's uh, most jobs had pensions. And so, and then there was Social Security, you had pensions, Social Security, and it, you didn't really have to worry much about this. Nowadays, there's there's so few pensions relative to the past. The government employees still have them, but now it's a matter of, of saving your own money. And then, when you turn 65 or whenever you retire, how do you go about distributing that money? So here's five different methods. Okay, first one you've heard this a million times: the four percent safe withdrawal rate. Okay, so this says that, uh, and this is a traditional approach that you can safely says you've been can safely withdraw about 4% of the initial value of your retirement savings and increase that amount each year with inflation. So just a real simple example, you got $100,000, 4% of that is $4,000. Next, and you earned 6%. So you save 2%, so now you got 102,000. So now the next year you get to take 4% of 102,000, which is uh, what, 4,080, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, You know, I love Bill Bingham. Yeah, and that's who came up with it in the early 90s. But that I don't think that works at all on a distribution plan. I think it's a really good tool to use to see if you are close in regards to what your nest egg should be. In other words, before you retire, apply that test. Apply the test see, before okay, you retire. How, how close am I? Right. So what are the cons with that strategy? Well, a sequence of return risk will kill you. Yeah. What if the market crashes? Right. And then, then but people will get, con- you know, so it's like my $100,000 just went down to 70000 Am I still going to pull 4% out of the seventy? That's what the rule implies. You're going to have to take a significant haircut, but people will not do that because they're comfortable or they have bills to pay. They have certain things that they have to do. And so if they are accustomed to pulling X amount of dollars out of their account, they're going to continue to pull that same amount of money out of their accounts, even right. though the, the, the their portfolio is going down because they're not looking at where they should be pulling the money. Right. Are they selling stocks? Are they selling bonds? Do they have enough cash? You know, What is their rebalance strategy as they're pulling dollars out? What's the tax strategy? So I guess my point is, is that the 4% rule to say, hey, if I want to spend $50,000 a year, 4%, $50,000, what, a million bucks? A little bit more than that, uh, one point, what is that? Two, two million, 1.25? Yeah. So that will tell you if you're close. Because if you're spending $50,000 and you have maybe $400,000, 
even though 400 is a big number, but 50,000 will eat that up very, very quickly. Yeah. So you want to do just simple arithmetic just to see, all right, well, what does that number need to be close to? Yeah. So am, in other words, am I in the ballpark? Right. Because like if you have $100,000 and you want to spend 40000 a year, it's like, a couple no. Of years, you're yeah, done. You, you, right. Exactly. So that's, I agree with you. Now here's uh here's another one. The 7% optimal withdrawal rate. This Whoa. is this is Wade Fow. And he's the one that said the 4% was too high. But yeah. he, he came up with the 7%. Because he's probably using what a guaranteed um, income annuity or something? Well, no, actually. Reverse mortgage? It's, it's kind of interesting. I, I'm not sure I've seen this one before. He's argued that some uh some retirees may be willing to take a larger risk of depleting their savings. Uh, for beginning. more income early. In other words, enjoy yeah. it while you can. Right. So the the he proposes a 7% initial withdrawal rate as a more optimal balance between competing demands of higher income and preserving income. But then of course you got to you got to tail it off and spend a lot less. Yeah, later. because you, you're out of money. That's right. And he <laughs> So you're just going to live off of social he, security. But even he agrees. He says uh, it may not be safe cuz his calculations say there's a 57% chance over 30 years you'll fail. More than half, right? So he's even he's not saying it's the best approach, but but you you get the thinking because a lot of people have that same question with us. It's I want to spend more now right. while I can travel and I, and less later, and there's there's some justification for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But the problem with any of these is life changes. You really need to be monitoring this all the way through instead of just this hard and fast rule. I, but, I wish there was a magic bullet that you could do that. Right. You know, because that would be ideal. It's like, all right, well, here, yeah, let me pull 7% out right. for the next 15 years. Yeah. And then I'll only pull 3% out because I'll be frail. Right. right. But who knows what the market's going to do during those periods of time when you're pulling 7% out. Right. Yeah. It'll blow you right. up. That's right. Here's another one, Joe. Uh, this is kind of a traditional, old-fashioned one. Living off investment income. Oh, just what? Interest and dividends? Yeah. Interest and dividends. Yeah, that will... The problem with that is what? <laughs> there aren't any. Right. It's expensive. How much do I mean, you want Treasury notes uh, paying 2%, yeah. not under 3% anyway. Uh, that's... Uh, and if you're wanting to live on four, five, six, seven percent, as we just went over, it's uh, you're going to have a lesser lifestyle. Well, the problem is, is that if you go back 30 years ago, now the retirees, they're using rules that maybe their f- mother and father used. Right. Right. Hey, yeah. well, we got GE stock. It's a great dividend-paying stock. We're going to live off the dividends. We're going to buy some bonds and get a six percent coupon, and we're yeah, never going right. to touch the principal. Oh, if you touch the principal, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we don't live in that time anymore. No, we it's a time warp. You got to figure out, okay, well, what are you trying to accomplish with the money that you have? How much are you trying to distribute to yourself in form of income? But that's why these high dividend paying stock, you know, uh, you know, ETFs, mutual funds, or strategies are just overinflated. Right. Because it sounds great. Who yeah. doesn't want high dividends? Right. I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and we get that question all the time, and and we live in a different world. I think I think total return is a better approach. Now, here's here's another one, Joe. This this is kind of cool. This is uh, spend safely in retirement. That's yes. the plan. Well, I think that's <laughs> obvious. So that's all you got to do. <laughs> so, so Stanford Center for Longevity and uh, the Society of Actuaries. Oh, smart people. Very they smart. studied 292 different retirement strategies and came up with their ideal plan. Which consists There's of... There's 292 retirement income strategies? That's what they looked at. 292 different retirement strategies. Well, that would be a great show. <laughs> Let's go over all 292. <laughs> we may have to devote a month to that. <laughs> we'll get right on it. 
So the the uh, so here's what they say. It's not, not a bad idea, actually. I mean, absent of any other real planning, <laughs> <laughs> delay delaying Social Security benefits to age seventy. Right, I, I like, like that. that. Withdrawing three and a half percent of your nest egg from age sixty-five to seventy, and then using the IRS required minimum distribution tables to determine withdrawals uh, for all your retirement accounts starting at age seventy. So it's an increasing amount. It, these are the, the smartest minds in the world came up with this. 292 retirement strategies. That's this the is best the best one. one. Yeah. Push out Social Security at age 70. How about if I retire Which, at 65? Well, that's okay. You withdraw 3.5%. If you retire at 60, it doesn't say. Uh, got it. Yeah. Or Push 50, it out to 75. <laughs> just only take 3.5% out. Yeah. And then only take your RMD. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It's actually, I mean, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> is that your plan now? That's it. I'm 60 years old. I got to work five more years, and I've got the best plan, according to the Stanford Center of Longevity and Society of Actuaries. Well, I thought after your um, little rock and roll cruise, you'd push your retirement a little earlier. I, I well, I'm, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to take more vacation. Because <laughs> you don't need enough. I need to. Yeah, I only get four weeks. That's you took two barely. vacations in three weeks. I know. It's just. It's just the that way week it back from the office was just too much for you. Yeah, and I, now I'm not leaving until June, so I'm really in trouble. If you're mentally ready to ditch the job, taking two vacations every three weeks like Big Al, make sure you're financially ready for retirement, too. Learn more about creating retirement income, as well as how to control your taxes in retirement and how to protect yourself against market volatility, increased longevity, rising health care costs, and Social Security uncertainty in retirement. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free retirement readiness guide. You'll learn strategies that'll make your money last a lifetime and it won't cost you a thing. Download the Retirement Readiness Guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Now, if you need more help in preparing for your retirement, call us at 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. That's 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. This was not to us. This was to uh, Kiplinger's personal finance. Okay. I thought it was kind of an interesting question. You could have just said it was to us. I could have. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I win the Powerball jackpot, yeah. will that affect my Social Security benefits? I'm 63, so I'm worried about the, the earnings test. Well, earnings t- <laughs> <laughs> so this guy's question. just dreaming. What the heck is I this mean, all It's about? a one in a billion chance, so don't lose much sleep. Yeah, my over. retirement plan is the Powerball. <laughs> it's going to mess up my Social Security. So, you know, I save $100 a week, but it's to the Powerball. <laughs> it's not to my retirement account because I'm going to win. Um, no, the earnings <laughs> test is based on earned income. Earned income. Earned so income. So like salary. Yes, you have not, to. Not Powerball winnings. Not Powerball winnings. Powerball so, winnings would not affect your. Um, so, so, in other words, you could um, you could win the Powerball. Yes. And still um, get your full Social Security. Well, well, no, yeah, yes. If he took it early, so <laughs> what he's referring to is that if if you take your benefit prior to full retirement age, right, and uh, you cannot have more than about eighteen thousand dollars. I'm rounding. Yeah, it's about, about right. seventeen thousand eight hundred bucks. Change. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, if you make more than that as earned income, then every two dollars that you earn, they take a buck back. It's so 
they're and it's not really they're taking a buck back. What they're doing is that they're assuming that you're not taking it for that month and then your your benefit would increase when you do stop working, right? So if you claim it early and you still have wages higher than 18000 then every $2 that you earned over that $18,000 limit, they'll take a dollar back from your Social Security benefit. Right. But that's earned income. Now. So that's wages, that's self-employment income. So when you look at Powerball winnings, yeah, it does. That would affect the taxation of your Social Security benefit. Oh, sure. Right. Because you will probably receive interest and dividends um, from that Powerball winnings. Yeah, and not, then that not should mention, put you not over. Not to mention the winnings themselves are taxable. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But uh, so, Joe, the, the number, I looked it up, uh, 17,040. So just over 17,000 is our number. That uh, seventeen thousand oh four oh. Well, look at the fact check on Big. I Al. got the, I got the, I got the little cheat sheet right in front of me. Anyway, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting question uh, that you would be worried about collecting your, your social security benefits when you got the Powerball winnings. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the world we live in. So, and I hope this individual. I hope uh, he wins it. I and I hope he or she is not losing sleep because. It's not going to happen. I'll tell you that. Well, do you, do you, have you ever seen that show, um, like those Powerball winners? Yeah. And how fast they blow through oh, millions? Yeah. And the stats are, whether it's Powerball or any lottery, uh, within five years, they're bankrupt. I mean, the majority. It's crazy. See, it's because when it's not your own money, it just it doesn't feel it doesn't, the same. Right. Let's buy 14 you know, four-wheelers. <laughs> and buy a ranch. Oh, yeah. Have you ever been to your ranch? No, but I hear it's great. <laughs> yeah, I have four thousand acres. Yeah, so I can drive my four wheeler around in it. <laughs> have you ever actually driven the four wheeler? Nope. Don't know how to. <laughs> yeah, don't know how to do it yet. <laughs> don't know. And uh, yeah, I don't know how to kick it into gear. Uh, but uh, well, Social Security. Well, he's claiming it at sixty two. Maybe he's taking all his sixty, all his. I think that's what he's Social doing. And he's and just putting it in the Powerball. <laughs> Why not? That's so, called leverage. Because he doesn't want to lose that up because he want to keep parlaying that into more Powerballs. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> All righty. That's it for us today. Thanks for listening. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next time. So to recap today's show, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they're taxed just like stocks are. So take that into account when dollar cost averaging into crypto or using digital currencies to buy that sweet, sweet parka. There are at least 292 retirement income strategies, and the best one for you may not be one of them. It all depends on your specific financial situation. For help figuring it all out, contact Joe and Big Al at info at purefinancial.com. And please, whatever you do, don't bet your retirement on the Powerball. It'll probably screw up more than just your Social Security. Special thanks to our guest, Philip Taylor. Learn more from PT on becoming financially independent at ptmoney.com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, your favorite podcatcher or Apple Podcasts. And hey, thanks for putting us in the top 200 investing podcasts on iTunes. It was only for about five minutes, but hey, that counts for something. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.